Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. We got a really fun case this week. Uh, an under, under, under told story here. This, this guy kind of no slips through the cracks. I'm not sure why, because he's fascinating. There's a lot of things about this guy that just kind of make him interesting to me. It really is. Definitely, this will probably be the funnest serial killer episode we've done in a while. I hate, That sounds weird. It really does sound yeah. weird to say that, and I'm really surprised he's not covered more, and I guess because his crimes aren't so brutal, right? They're not so, like, disturbing, like, whoa. They're not... Um, he kills the way that, like, the mob kills. Like, a couple yeah. shots to the back of the head when you don't expect it type of murders. Not that... Right. Not that, you know, not, not that uh, we're taking any, anything away from the victims. It's, it's horrible. It's tragic. Absolutely. But it's easier to consume. Yeah, this is not uh, the Chicago Ripper crew. No. Yeah. <laughs> no one's... That one's brutal. No one's being mutilated while they're alive or anything like that. This guy kind of But he's had also a, a thief. Like, his, his thievery crimes are also entertaining. And also, just he's an entertaining dude in general. He's, I mean, he was pretty much a bad crook. He gets caught, like, nonstop. Oh, yeah, but that doesn't deter him all. at all. That doesn't deter no. him at all. <laughs> no, and then it, he, there was a certain level of, like, taunting the police that we get into. And I don't yeah. know. Just, this, guy's, this guy's bizarre. And when it came to conflicts in his life, he kind of had, like, a Carl Panzram approach. You know, he was just oh, yeah. like, Mike makes right. Nip He's it in like, the bud. fuck this guy. Like, I'm going to off him so it doesn't cause me any problems in the future. Yeah, he was kind yeah, of ruthless doubt, that way. Yeah, when in doubt, just shoot a motherfucker, basically was his mindset. Yeah. but he had, I think he might have stole a few dollars from me. Like, when we went to Burger King that time, I don't think he gave me all my change back. So he's he's done. I'm going to shoot him in the back of the head. There today. you go. Yeah, I can't chance that. Type that. Of vibe. If he's still no. in that, then he's probably still in other things. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that is the mindset. That being said, though, like, he had like a lot of uh, girlfriends uh, over the years and friends that were women, and they all spoke really highly of him, which was weird considering his life was just filled with crime. I guess right. Some women like bad boys, but well, he had a he had a respect for women. He had certain he had certain stipulations, certain lines in his in his life that he would not cross. One of them, you know, being violence towards women, and then another one being drugs and alcohol. Like he was totally off drugs yeah. and alcohol. And you know, when we talk about his upbringing, I think a lot of that shit will become clear. He was obviously yeah. more connected to his mother than his father. He blamed his alcoholic father for a lot of stuff. So, yeah. you know, we'll get into all that stuff, but uh, he, he is definitely a serial killer like none other. I mean, serial, right. still a serial killer by definition, but, but different, wouldn't you say? Yeah. yeah. Doesn't hit the same. I mean, he was, I mean his motive was, was financial and not getting caught. Right, you know, right. There was, there was no sexual element. Uh, right to his crimes right right but uh yeah i mean he was just different in general like you said straight laced like no drugs alcohol um yeah. honestly pretty butt like jacked like he was really into working out fitness and been like weightlifting kind of meathead stuff yeah not so much uh, ironically claimed to be a vegetarian though yeah <laughs> you believe do you believe he actually was no i, I don't think so uh, but yeah. i mean maybe maybe he had some weird convictions and he was in great shape he was pretty fucking lean there uh, are those quote-unquote vegans and vegetarians that as soon as they have a, a few drinks that they, they go to taco bell you know what i mean uh, Maybe he was one of those. then again he didn't drink so <laughs> there you go <laughs> when they're vulnerable sometimes they, they, they break their coat a little bit right maybe he's stuck i, to I it. literally knew a girl that that like she was hardcore vegan during the day like raw vegan uh -oh. and then one time we were drinking and it's like i want a taco we went to taco bell uh. <laughs> Well, listen, technically, you can eat Taco Bell meat. It's only like 40% meat. So that's what you, I was going to say. It's like yeah. sawdust and who knows what, but... Yeah, you're fine. I don't think that's even real meat. 
All right, let's get All into right, this. Let's get, All into right, this. Let's, get into this. let's get into this. You guys know here at True Crime Guys, I usually try to poke a little fun at the killer in the intros. But this week, I'm going to do something different. In the spirit of being completely transparent with these people that we cover, this week, Gary Evans is a serial killer that is quite different from others. I wouldn't say he's more lovable. He's still a piece of shit. But I couldn't help but notice the overwhelming amount of positive quotes from people in his life. So I'd like to share a few of those quotes with you all before we get into today's story. So without further ado. Gary is a woman and kid protector. He was very affectionate and sweet to my daughter. He liked to play Nintendo with her. He was always happy, always energetic, and he made me feel good. We called him Owl, the wisest. He gave me the courage to go out and make a new life for myself and my son. This man made me believe in myself again. I was going down the tubes, he gave me back my self-esteem. I could never repay him. It's night and day, good and evil. I feel so much sympathy for those victims, but can't envision him as a murderer. How can he be so kind, yet so brutal? I started to like him as a friend. He was easy to get along with. He would lay on the couch and not talk. He liked swimming and laying in the sun and relaxing. He bought me things to make me laugh. A stupid metal flower for $15. He'd start laughing, I'd start laughing. But I protected him all those years. But how was I going to protect him when he killed my boyfriend? He had nothing to lose. He wanted to go out with a bang. He wanted to win. And I will leave you all with a quote from Gary himself. It comes from a letter Gary wrote to his lawyer just before his death. Stars surround me, and peace and love are mine. They cannot be taken or touched. I win. All right, our case this week is Gary Evans, a serial killer you've probably never heard of. And the book that we got for this case is called Every Move You Make by M. William Phelps. Fantastic book, really long, really detailed, gets into all the nitty-gritty details of what made this guy um, a terrible upbringing, playing a big role mm-hmm. in it, I'm guessing. He, you know, he almost gets, to, I almost get the vibe that this dude, um, had he not had a, a, an absolute awful upbringing, maybe had he had some proper nurture in his life, he might have been yeah. gone on to do some great things because he was he was odd in so many ways, but also driven, um, clean, like no no drugs, no alcohol. Like maybe he would have been a really good athlete, or maybe would have who knows what he could have done. But yeah, possibly with the upbringing that he had, it, he was likely to end up going down a bad road, and which he did. Right, right, and his influences too at a young age didn't yeah. help the the groups he got around early on didn't help him out none but like you said like his drive and his ambition about Mm -hmm. (laughs) about damn unmatched yeah so he was born october 7th 1954 in troy new york he shares a birthday with simon cowell vladimir putin and mookie mookie betts quite a group poor mookie 
Why does he, <laughs> he got to be in this group? I know, right? Getting overshadowed. <laughs> Mookie uh, Betts, man. One of my favorite baseball players ever, probably. Dude is so I, fucking Probably cool. the most likable of the three. I think that's safe to say. Oh, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> I don't know who's less likable, Vladimir Putin or Simon Cowell. Oh, <laughs> that was that's awful. A true fucking it's bloody a true, awful, mate. That's a true statement, though. A lot Your of people podcast is trash. <laughs> Absolute trash. Absolute mm-hmm. trash. <sighs> and his stupid turtlenecks. I'm bleeding. I hate turtlenecks. Men, men oh, shouldn't wear turtlenecks. That's I don't know. Maybe that's rude to say, but yeah, unless you're just an extremely established artist, you know what I mean. Like once you hit a certain level, you can wear whatever the fuck you want. But just like. I don't know. Oh, he's, in, he's in the turtleneck stage of his career. He's made it. He's made SI Hall of Fame. Actually, I see him wearing those V-necks all the time with a little bit of chest. Oh, hair V-necks. Showing. Maybe that's what I was going. For. Yeah. I don't like V-necks either. Yeah, he's They're always weird. rocking the V-necks, the super tight V-necks. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't wear turtlenecks. He wears V-necks. No. Yeah, he's the V-neck. And they're always baggy. It looks like an old shirt he picked up off like out of the dirty clothes and threw on. It's like, dude, you're, you're <laughs> worth like probably seven figures at this point, or eight well, figures. I don't know. Like yeah. Multi multi millionaire. Right, right. But that's the point, though. Once you get that level, you know, and you're such a genius, your, your clothes don't matter anymore. He's trying you know? to put it's it out just, there that he doesn't even have to try. He's that good. Exactly. Like, have you ever heard that Mark Zuckerberg wears the same thing every day? Like, he has, like, a bunch of navy blue shirts and khakis. Like, he works at Walmart or some shit. He's such a fucking creep. He looks like he a just, fish. W- I can't stand that guy. <laughs> His face just, like, I just, I, I can't even look at it. I, like, turn away in disgust when I look at him. How dare you talk about Metamark that way? It has more than He's more to savior. do with his personality and like I don't lack know. thereof. Ugh. He he doesn't have a personality, bro. Let's he wants to own like him and a few a few other billionaires just want to own our souls. Like yeah, it's not enough that mm-hmm. they're that rich. They, they've just got to like I need your every moment to be somehow in the Facebook universe. It's got the metaverse. It's got to be that's where he's yeah. headed. He's like he wants people to wake up and just tap in, just be connected into him and yes. he's just seeing the dollar machine rack up as everybody's using his products all day every day and their their life is revolving around it that's their goal yeah it's damn scary but it's happening i mean he's creating his own currency you can already shop for whatever you need on facebook like it's it's damn scary dude it's connected <sighs> to instagram so you can't even hide over there don't even think about that you ain't hiding right. on instagram yeah they own they own insta yep Dude, you know, if I, I get how addicting all these apps are and stuff, and I didn't mean to go down this road. We're, we're here to talk about a serial killer, but yeah. like one thing I do, because I know I, I know the draw, I know how addicting it can be. I have Instagram, but like I put mine in a folder in the back of my phone to where when there I open go. my phone, I don't just see it and automatically click it. There's just that magnetic force that pulls your finger towards the app to see to look yep. at it again for the 30th time that day. You don't need to. Put it in a folder somewhere to where when you check it once or twice a day, you have to go look for it and get it. That's mm-hmm. that's a little life tip right there, life hack. That's what I do too. I have mine in a folder as well as all of my social media. It's in a folder labeled podcast. And it, like you say, it's not on my front page of my phone. It's on like my yeah. third page and it's sitting there. And then when I click on that, I just check everything with the podcast, you know, and that's, and that's it. And I get off. I try not to just spend hours scrolling or even minutes. You know, if I yeah. catch myself in a mindless scroll, I'm like, no, 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 we got to get, we got to get back to life here. Yep. How do you get back to it? We're like, we got to get back to the story. That's right. Yes. So Gary Evans was born in 1954 in Troy, New York. His parents, uh, his mother was Flora and his father was Roy Evans. Um, And he also had an older sister named Robbie, who he would be very close to um, due to Mm. the fact that they both shared the same traumatic experiences in their their household. It was, this is up there, like with as bad as we've seen from a a childhood home. 
because um, both parents, a lot of times there's like the good cop, bad cop thing going on where, you know, we, we study a serial killer and like they had one parent that was just awful and the other one at least, yeah, you know, was somewhat to normal and tried to nurture them a little bit. This is like coming at him from both ends. So um, his father was extremely uh, abusive and an alcoholic and his mother had some serious issues as well, uh, attempted suicide multiple times in front of the children. Um, Whoa. Uh, according to his sister... Robbie, at age seven, uh, Gary actually grabbed a butcher knife and tried to stab his father while he was beating his mother. So it was that bad that Gary Whoa. was concerned for his mother's this, safety and, and tried to stop his father with a knife. Didn't this exact thing happen uh, to Larry Eiler? I think it was Larry Eiler who It was sounds familiar. To, I don't remember yeah, which, which case it was, but yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah, and there's been a there's been another serial killer, maybe multiple ones, who have tried to save their mother from an abusive uh, husband or boyfriend, mm -hmm. and then ended up getting hurt themselves. Wasn't Gary, Gary Green? Wasn't there a similar thing where he was killing the the children's and one of the siblings tried to stop him? Oh shit, Gary Green! Yeah, the boys stood up to him. God, what a monster yeah, that guy was! Those two, his two stepsons stood up to him. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, you want to hear a terrifying story? The monster that one's Gary bad. Green. Sounds bad. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, so and uh, as we mentioned, the mother was no better. Flora attempting suicide multiple times in front of the children. Um, on one occasion, Flora had a gun to her head while Roy wrestled the gun away. So their father wrestled the gun away from her. However, the gun went off at some point, and it's unclear whether it was intentional or an accident, but the, yeah. the gun went off, striking Flora in the shoulder and almost taking her shoulder off. Yeah, I heard some people explain it in a way that made it seem like Roy was getting aggravated with Flora and... Maybe even was like, oh, you want to die? Well, here, let me help you. Let me show you right. what that feels like. And then shot her in the shoulder, um, I guess maybe knowing that it wouldn't kill her. But, I mean, a shotgun to the shoulder. Yeah. It, you're, yeah, you're fucked for life. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do you even, how does that arm even function? Now, if you wanted to kill yourself before, you're probably going to want to kill yourself even more. Because you're in pain Seriously. all the time. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I've also also heard that uh, Flora brought home animals to kill and slaughter in front of the children so they could see where food comes from. Okay, a little bit that of Ed Gein shit going on here. Yeah, that one's a, a touchy thing because like a lot of young kids on farms get this same upbringing, you know, where the, yeah. the, they see chickens get slaughtered, they see cows get slaughtered, all that stuff. Yep. Uh, that's just part of growing up on a farm. This is a little bit different. And also I think you have to take into consideration – your kids, like we've talked about it a bunch of times. Not every kid's the same. My son, at, at almost five years old, could probably see us slaughter a chicken and he would be fine. My daughter right now is not ready for that. She's almost three. She's yeah. too sensitive right now. Like I think that would really traumatize her. Mm -hmm. So you have to take that and you know each kid their sensibilities into consideration with that. But no doubt, it sounds absolutely. like the way that the mother was. This was more intentionally to traumatize them to me. Like just judging off her other actions that she does. Yeah, it could be. Or it could have been just the food was a lot cheaper. I mean, food's a lot cheaper when you buy it live, if you're counting by the pound. Right. You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to pick up a few chickens, live chickens, and uh, and kill them and live off of them than it is, you know, to go buy meat in the store. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like you said, maybe it was just intentional, just to make a statement. Yeah. This this next part is bizarre in so many ways. Uh, also, Flora allegedly had sex at the at the doctor's office with the doctor with the kids just outside the door so that they could hear what was going on. So she's cheating on her husband at the doctor's office with her children wow. hearing everything. Um, just going through for the another thin checkup? Walls of the office. 
Going for another yeah, right? checkup again today, honey? Why are we yeah. at the doctor's office multiple times know. a week, Just... mom? <laughs> and what is he doing in there? You're always screaming in there. Right? I don't think he's making you better. I, I don't right? know what's going on. <laughs> Although you always seem to come out happy. I was about to say, you do come out in a better mood, so maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's Just like some weird, John right? Redcorn, some John Redcorn shit from King of the Hill. That's, that's some healing tactics, bro. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so this next part is just really messed up but his father gary claimed that his father also had raped him when he was eight years old um mm. there was some details about him being handcuffed in the basement by his father oh my yeah and if you wonder you know how he went on to be a a career criminal for the rest of his life it's it's actually surprising that there was never a sexual element to his crimes when you consider that he was raped really by his father is. at eight you know yeah it really he hated that man though yeah he hated his god father he hated time. him i wonder why you know I mean, constantly I'm just, abusing his mother, raping him, you know. But I mean, I think his hatred was so extreme that he was like, I'm going to be nothing like this man. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I'm going to be clean. Care. I'm never going to drink a drop of alcohol in my life. I'm never going to yeah. abuse women. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'll shoot some men for sure, but uh, never going to touch a woman like that. It, apparently. Apparently that's what he took from his upbringing. Yeah. So um, Gary would begin stealing at a young age. At the age of eight, he was caught stealing jewelry worth about $1,000. Later on during his school years, he began repeatedly stealing small items such as books and comics. In addition to shoplifting, um, which, it, you know, it earned him this reputation. He became known as like the neighborhood con man thief. Yeah. A reputation that he would keep throughout his entire life. Everyone knew Gary is this. And this is common. This is the beginning of the escalation of, of criminality right here. Yeah. This is yeah. so typical. Um, in 1968, when Gary was 13, he moved in with his sister, who had been briefly married and since divorced. So she was several years older than, than Gary. She had moved mm-hmm. out of their family home, gotten married, and she picked a man, much like her father, that was drunk and abusive. Yeah. And uh, they would get divorced, and Gary would get out of his house, uh, his childhood home, and move in with his sister for a much better environment. Um, wow. So there you go. So that explains another good relationship he had with a woman right here. Or yeah. maybe the number one relationship that he had with a woman growing up, which would be his older sister, which makes even more sense. Because maybe that trained him to to treat women well because his sister always looked out for him, his older sister. Exactly. You know. Exactly. She was more of like a mother figure to him while mm-hmm. his mother was doing whatever and his father was beating her. He yeah. had this this older sister who was who was probably caring and took him under her wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So later that year in 1968, um, their mother, Flora got divorced finally from their abusive father and she would move in with them as well. So now it's Gary, his older sister and uh, his mother living together. Families back uh, together. Yeah. And it would last a little while, but in 1970, Gary was arrested for the first time after being caught in the act of robbing someone's home. He would spend several months in County jail. Um, meanwhile, his mother would eventually marry and divorce four more times. So she would live with them briefly before finding a new man, moving in with him, getting divorced again, um, and eventually she would meet a woman and, uh, switch over. I guess she figured it'd just be easier to be with a woman okay. since being with so many different men didn't work out. And she would move, uh, with this woman to upstate New York and not be seen for several years. We'll hear about her later. Okay. We'll check um, back in. Yeah. In the early to mid seventies, when Gary was in his, uh, early twenties, he moved into an apartment with two old neighborhood friends. And that plays a big role in this case. So these two friends he he knew growing up, Michael Falco and Timothy Reisendorf, um, they they knew each other from the hood, and they would ultimately in their early twenties get an apartment together. I think this is kind of like every every young man's dream, every young woman's dream is like 
as soon as you're, you get old enough, you move into an apartment with your friends, kind of like the show friends, yeah. you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's so unrealistic, but yeah. Right. Uh, Sometimes that, that it actually what happens. Imagines. Um, yeah, I, I didn't get that. I didn't get that opportunity. I got married young, so my first house was with my wife. I didn't have that opportunity to to share the share a home with roommates and shit. Not not though. Not saying I think I'd like it. I don't know. Right. I Possibly. had the best of both worlds. I didn't actually do it, but I hung out at friends' houses or friends' apartments that they were all living together. So I'd just go yeah. over there, pop in, and it was just a disaster. Beer cans everywhere. I'd go over oh, there, play yeah. some beer pong or whatever for a little while, and then I'd go home to my house, you know, <laughs> that I shared yeah. with my wife, kind of like what you were saying. <laughs> My nice clean house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, so th- this apartment was actually around the corner from their childhood home. So just kind of extending the the fun times of their youth. Um, and this would also become like a center point of a criminal enterprise because the three of them would, would start thieving together. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But before sense. we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about Gary's personality um, people's thoughts about him and what he was like. Over the years, he dated and befriended several women, most of which talked fondly about him later on, even after learning about his crimes. A girl named Joanne dated Gary on and off for eight years, and she gives some insight into his personality. Quote, he was like a 10-year-old, subsisting on gallons of milk, boxes of cocoa puffs, and chocolate chip cookies. He was five foot six and built like a tank. He was he was jacked. Like He was. And off cocoa puffs and chocolate chip cookies? I'm impressed. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's that's the advantage of being 20 though. I was going like, to say, dude, young men if if you're yeah. like really active, you can eat whatever the hell you want whatever and still be jacked. You, you know, if you're lifting weights and eating cocoa puffs in your 20, you're probably going to yeah. be jacked. Bro, I used to like eat two hot dogs and drink a sun drop and then go pitch a seven inning baseball game, bro. <laughs> it was like no big deal. Now if I did that, I'd be barfing in like 10 minutes. I know, right? Like it's so disgusting. But yeah, yeah, our our bodies are built like fucking tanks on the inside when we're young. Yeah. But yeah. But freaking Gary was like a tank on the outside as well. You, he definitely he definitely worked out and did some shit. Yeah, he had to have. Yeah, I mean he might have been doing steroids. Who knows? It's, oh, that's true. That's true. That wouldn't be something that came out, especially not during this time. Right. That's one of those things that you realize far more common than than you probably think. Like, I have a friend who not long ago started doing steroids, and he's just bringing up how like yeah, like so and so does them, so and so does them. Like it just seems like if you're not in it. You don't realize it, but like tons of people are. It seems like cocaine's the same way. Like if yeah. you're in that world, like you realize, like, holy shit, way more people do this than I thought. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. But, I don't uh, know how they afford it, but yeah. I know, right? <laughs> no interest for me. I'm good. Uh, that it's one of those I'm things. Bold, it's really. like I, I don't. No, I don't care to uh, to buy some myself because I know once I open that door, it's going to be very hard to shut. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Maybe when I get a little older, I'll do some TRT. You know, let's replace what I lost testosterone-wise, but... Yeah. We'll see. But not cocaine. <laughs> There's always tomorrow. Oh, cocaine? No, I'm good. I'm out on that. <laughs> no need for that. I'm already wired up enough as it is. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I good. Need, I'm good. I need downers, if anything. I don't need anything else to rely on. Right. Um, so, Gary was also known to... to you know, he was he was good with uh, younger people, too. He was, he was kind of like a, a grown-up kid himself. And, like... Yeah. He, so, his older sister had a son, and he was uh, known to, like, skateboard and jump on the trampoline with his nephew. He was, like, the cool uncle. Nice. Um, he was known to them as quiet, gentle, and caring. He liked drawing mountains, writing poems about freedom, the stars, and love. And according to his close friends, despite his criminal activities, they considered Evans to have a complex worldview and philosophy. He was a vegetarian who never drank or smoked. Wow. So, like a bit so, of like yeah. a pacifist in a way, but also murdered people and robbed. Right. Yeah. 
he definitely he definitely had two sides, like most people. Yeah. But but his two sides were vastly different. There's these Vast. dudes that like draw these lines, right? Like he's it, robbing jewelry stores or uh, people like or drug dealers or whatever is totally fine. But like, you know, I'll, I would never touch a woman. Like you're a fucking I'll, you're a scumbag if you do this or that. But like right. doing these things that other people consider to be wrong, not a big deal to them. Right, right. Who he was, was the hitman that we covered? That it was the same kind of like drawing these lines. I guess like uh, mafia hitmen have the same kind of thing too. Yeah, there was a guy like they we view covered themselves as having these morals, but they also like do heinous crimes as well. Yeah, there was a guy we covered in Detroit, Vinto uh, Vito Vincent Smithers. Vincent, yeah, something like that. Vito Vincent Smithers or something like that. Smothers. He, yeah, yeah. He was like that. Mm-hmm. Where you know he was a yep. hitman and just but he would only kill drug dealers, right? He would only deal. Yeah. Uh, he would only kill career criminals as well, and he felt yes. like that was totally fine. Yeah, I mean he was getting paid for it too. So yeah, <laughs> there's that aspect. Yeah, there's a bit it. of that to Gary. He had these lines that he would draw. Yeah, no doubt. <clears throat> so yeah, as we mentioned, this apartment that he moves into with his two friends, Michael and Tim, they uh, they become the you know this small criminal enterprise. They began working together. Um, Gary being Gary being the leader of the gang, uh, he was an experienced thief and knowledgeable about jewelry and antiques. He always had a thing for antiques. Yeah, um, I don't know where that spawned from, but it seemed like since he was a kid, he was always into I, old, uh, valuable objects. I think that was one of the few things he got from his father was that his father was always trading and buying and going uh, to garage sales and things like that. Much like my dad, that reminded me of yeah. my upbringing. Like I feel like I know the value of a lot of weird things because mm-hmm. of my dad and just being around uh, antiques and just anything of value he was interested in, like my yeah. whole life. So, yeah, I totally get this. I feel like I, I feel like I, I would have the uh, knowledge to be a good thief. Like I know what shit's worth taking. But I just don't want to be a thief. <laughs> right, right, right. So oh, yeah, that Gary be- very relatable. Yeah. So Gary became skilled at speaking with antiques dealers and pretending to be a dealer himself. All the while casing the casing the places for ways that he could break in uh, to the establishments. While Michael and Timothy, his two roommates, assisted him. Um, Gary, however, was perhaps too bold or just a bad crook overall because between the years of 1971 and 1998, he would be arrested 22 times and charged with 15 antiques-related felonies. Oh, wow. So, good at stealing the shit, not so good at not getting caught later on. Right. He, I think he's just too bold, you know? He just had he had a bit of honey badger in him. He was just like, I'm doing it, I don't give a fuck. Like, oh, yeah. If I get arrested, yeah. I get arrested, whatever. I'll just get out and do it again. That's kind of the vibe he had. He got a lot of slaps on the wrist, though, man. You know, it's like going to prison wasn't a big deal for him. Well, early on, I mean, he was he was doing robberies, which generally, if you're not like harming someone or holding them up at gunpoint, he was like generally breaking into the stores after they were closed and, and stealing shit and things like that. Yeah, um, he he escalates into actual violent crime later and murdering people. That, but yeah, these these little yeah. robberies of stores and things like that, they're only going to get you locked up for so long, right? It wasn't enough to deter him. No, not at all. He would just go to he would go to jail short term and learn more tricks from other criminals and come out a better thief. God, we see that so often, don't we? Yeah. Yep. <sighs> On one occasion, Gary was stymied by a shop's alarm system and resorted to tunneling under the outside wall to get un- to get in undetected. That's impressive. Uh, <laughs> tunneling under the, the wall. Hell? Like I said, he's a honey badger. This guy. He <laughs> no doubt. Tunner- tunneling under walls now. Tunneling under a wall in a... Oh, yeah. 
of a security. What kind of store was this again? This was a. Uh, it doesn't say, does it? No, it, what type it, of I mean, shop it could it have been like a pawn shop or a jewelry store. I mean, he hit up those kind of places all the time. Yeah, man, that's dedication. Yeah. So Gary's lengthy prison record started on January 13th, 1977, when he was sentenced for, bur- for a burglary in Essex County and sent to Clinton Correction Facility. He was 23 at this time and was sentenced to four years. So he did some legit stents in, in, in prison on several occasions. Oh, yeah. Uh, while in prison for this burglary, his father, Roy, would die from throat cancer and thus would end that evil bastard's reign of terror over other people. Mm-hmm. Good riddance. Hopefully it was painful. Raping yeah, your child and beating your wife. Fuck him. Yeah, fuck that guy. So Gary would be transferred to Great Meadow Correctional Facility and paroled on March 31st, 1980, but was quickly back in jail for possession of stolen property while on parole. Damn it. Um, (laughs) This is just a repeating cycle over and over again. He just did, what, three years? Three years and three months. That's what he did. Gets out and is on parole and starts stealing shit again. Yeah, wow. Um, Now, he he was still kind of just, you know, known in his neighborhood as a thief or whatever, but didn't get any... Uh, notoriety in the city or nationally until his name first came to public light on June 12, 1980, when he escaped uh, over the wall of Rensselaer County Jail. He somehow got away from custody, fled to the Troy Public Library, where he was apprehended uh, on the ledge of the library while on- onlookers cheered. This is kind of an infamous <laughs> uh, group of photos where he's yeah. shirtless. He's got like these these uh, almost like karate pants tied and like rolled up, and he's just jacked. You know, like, and he's yeah. he's got like a head. He almost looks like a like a buff Jesus on the ledge of this this library. <laughs> he looks he looks like a buff Tommy Chong to me. Yeah, for sure. That's a good that's a good one, for sure. Totally fucking Tommy Chong with the headband. Oh yeah, my God, that's with great. the long hair and the beard yeah. and the glasses. Yeah, Tommy Chong just started jacked. doing steroids. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so he's on the ledge of this. He got the you know these these photos uh, kind of made him locally popular and. Uh, uh, infamous, and he was ended up getting snatched by a bunch of police and drugged back inside. Um, he was treated as an extreme risk for escape from then on and uh, was caught planning escapes on more than one occasion. Uh, so with the additional charges for escaping, uh, Evans was sentenced on September 11th, 19, 11th 1980 to Clinton Correctional uh, Facility and paroled from the Attica, Attica facility on December 29th, 1982. So he ends up spending another two years. Another two more years, yeah. Yep. Um and he would be arrested twice more following in the following spring and was in county jail until his early release on March 31st, 1984. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so he does from 77 to 84, he spent the majority of those years behind bars. Yes. That's safe to say. With with a few months of freedom in between. Yeah, just, just long like enough that, to be on parole and get caught again with more stolen shit. Yeah, I was about to say in that last little freedom stint, it was only three months before he was back in prison again. Mm-hmm. So while in jail this time, his other parent died, his mother, in 1983. This is crazy. Reports uh, are conflicting a bit. It's alleged that maybe she was at a bar drinking too much, went outside. It was winter. She slipped and hit her head uh, on either the concrete or car bumper, knocking herself unconscious and then like succumbed to the elements um, of, you know, cold winter in New York, uh, unconscious, drunk and... Maybe and apparently the, people like, just rain swelling did her in, or maybe just being outside in the cold too long. I don't know if maybe nobody discovered her right away and she was left out there overnight. God, yeah, Who I knows, heard she but... hit her head on the bumper of a car. I don't yeah. know whether it was her car or what, but God, what a what a tragic, just sudden way to lose your mother. 
You know, even right. even for a criminal, like this had to hit him like a ton of bricks. Mm-hmm. Especially being in jail at this time. Yeah. Yeah. So he got that early early release on March thirty first, nineteen eighty four, and on February sixteenth, nineteen eighty five, um, Gary and and his roommate Michael Falco burglarized a flea market in East Greenbush, New York. How dare about they? a week about a week later. Michael Falco uh, became the first known associate of Gary's to disappear, and this would become a reoccurring theme. Um, he successfully convic- uh, convinced local criminals and law enforcement that Falco had fled to California. Meanwhile, the truth was uh, much different than that. The truth was that yeah. he had made a homemade silencer for his handgun and shot Michael Falco in the back of the head in their apartment. This came after mm. uh, their other roommate, Tim, had told Gary that a necklace that Gary was asking about that had come up missing, um, that that uh, Michael had taken it and oh. give, you know pawned it off or done whatever with it. This enraged Gary, who snuck up behind Michael and and shot him in the back of the head in their own apartment. He then rolled up the body in a sleeping bag and disposed of it in a swamp near his sister's home in Lake Worth, Florida. So he drove all the way down to Florida, and he took Tim with him uh, to dispose of this body. Mm-hmm. You imagine being Tim. Like, you, you oh, lied. And said that this necklace, you know, like you, he had taken it and like given it to his girlfriend, I believe, Tim. Oh. And he just got his roommate, their friend, shot in the back of the head. And now he's got to go down to Florida with this monster to, to dispose of the body that you just made happen. Well, he's responsible. He should have to go. You know, he also, I hope he's also thinking like, fuck, I hope Gary doesn't get bad wind about me. Right. You know and what I'm saying? I hope somebody don't lie on. about me. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so meanwhile, Gary and Tim spent a few weeks in Florida hiding out because uh, now their you know their roommate and friend went out missing. Um, yeah. and, and Gary would return from Florida to Troy in April, and on April twenty first, nineteen eighty five, he stole twelve thousand dollars from local drug dealers. I love this story. It's actually kind of hilarious. <laughs> it is. So he he starts posing as a drug like a, a drug dealer, and these two guys come to buy pot from him, and it's it's apparently a pretty large amount of pot. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much, but like you would take at least a pound or two. Uh, they bring $12,000 for this drug deal. And uh, so they give him the money and he says, all right, the, you know, the weed's in the, in the trunk of the car. And when they go to the trunk of the car, he takes off on foot running with their money. Um, <laughs> he, he, he apparently was not just He's buff, ballsy. but pretty fast because he was able to, to, to get away from the two guys and actually uh, went back to where their cars were parked and stole their car. <laughs> so he steals the oh, 12 grand and then steals yeah. their car. That's freaking uh, brilliant. It's kind of brilliant, but in a way, like this is what gets him caught, just stealing their car. I don't know why he didn't just run back and take his car, because then they were able to report their car stolen to the police. They wouldn't, you know, him stealing their money during a drug deal. Good mm-hmm. luck, like calling the police, and like they're going to be like, "Why did you have twelve thousand dollars to give this guy? What's going on here?" You know? Yeah, exactly. But the fact that he stole their car, they reported the car stolen and said that you know he robbed him or whatever, and this led to uh, a police suit pursuit because the police caught up with the stolen car with Mike or with uh, Gary still driving it. He tried to flee from that scene as well and was ultimately taken into custody and was sentenced to another two to four years in prison, where he would spend these this time in Sing Sing Prison, where he would meet someone that we've done an episode on, a very famous serial killer, son of Sam, David Berkowitz. He oh, would meet here and he become friends. With David Berkowitz, while at Sing Sing, they would lift weights together, exchange letters while in solitary confinement, um, letters of which uh, Gary would send to acquaintances as keepsakes. Um, And I think this is kind of hilarious, but because it's just such a silly nickname, it shows you David Berkowitz was not the brightest guy, but he he nicknamed his his buddy 
uh, Gary Evans, the great tri- the great tricep king, because they would work out together, and I guess Gary just had such great triceps that that, that oh, was wow. uh, old Berkey's nickname for him. Very clever, very clever. <laughs> yep. Good bet, one, Berkowitz. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good one, Berkey. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. All right, you ready to get into some commercials before we get back to the story? And uh, some moida. Some moida is around the corner. How about this? This holiday season, instead of giving another thoughtless soap basket, why don't you give your loved ones something as unique as they are? Something like StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. How, you say? Every single week, StoryWorth emails your list of loved ones thought-provoking questions of your choice. Maybe things you would have never thought to ask them. For example, have you ever asked your grandmother what's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or had a discussion with your best friend about what you'd like to find out if you could see into the future? No, you haven't. That's why you need StoryWorth. They will compile a year's worth of stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book. I'm looking forward to sharing my keepsake book with my kids, and I'm thankful for the memories that it will keep alive. Reading the weekly stories helps you connect with loved ones no matter how near or far apart you are. Thanks to StoryWorth, I found out my great uncle had an affinity for songwriting, just like Mua. With StoryWorth, I'm giving those I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from the heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. Go to StoryWorth.com creeper and save $10 on your first purchase. That's StoryWorth.com creeper to save $10 on your first purchase. What's up, Creepers? If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there's no better time than now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving True Crime Guys listeners early access to all their Black Friday deals, 50% off their award-winning home security. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. I've been using Simply Safe for over a year now, and I love it. The setup was super quick and easy, and the cameras and sensors are really high quality. Luckily, all my cameras have caught so far some wildlife and friends and family coming over, but there's nothing like the peace of mind in knowing that I have sensors on all my doors and windows and cameras covering every angle of my property. Simply Safe was even named Best Home Security System of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. You can easily customize a system for your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. It's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind. So take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals and get 50% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/creeper. Again, that's simplysafe.com/creeper for 50% off your entire system. All right, we're back. So, after Gary spent over 3 years in Sing Sing, uh, you know, hanging out with Son of Sam, lifting weights with him, um, he was paroled on March 1st, 1988. And soon after his release, he would start working with another neighborhood thief named Damian Cuomo. Gary and Cuomo would target a coin and jewelry store uh, in uptown New York, um, in Watertown, several hours drive away from the Capital District. And this this store was owned by a 63-year-old man named Douglas J. Berry. Um, and they planned to hit this jewelry store after clo- after it was closed. You know, right. uh, unfortunately, uh, when they did it on September 8th, when they broke into this store. Um, Douglas Berry was in the back room sleeping. Um, he maybe just lived in his jewelry store, didn't have a place of his own or whatever, Right. but he was awoken when they broke in, um, prompting Gary to shoot him in the head. And this would be his second murder. 
Mm. Um, then on December 27th, 1989, less than four months after Barry's murder, Cuomo left his apartment with Gary Evans and was never seen alive again. So Gary gets a taste for taking people out. And maybe like we mentioned earlier, it just seems to be the easiest solution for him when someone either he thinks either they're ripping him off or he's worried about maybe them taking him down and putting him in prison again. He just right. ends their life. It's the easiest way to tie up loose ends. And it's just becoming easier and easier for him to do this now. Yeah. It would later come to light that Gary had shot him and buried him, uh, buried his body nearby soon after they left Cuomo's apartment. So he he goes to pick up Cuomo, and he had planned to kill him that day. He had ultimately handcuffed his hands behind his back and shot him three times in the back of the head. And what similar this, to, go ahead. I was going to say, what do you, what is this about? Does did he just not want to share the loot from the jewelry store with Cuomo, or what the hell was this about? You know, I, I think this had, once again was something where he he thought that the guy was ripping him off somehow. Mm-hmm. Maybe they they I think maybe they had divvied up the jewelry from the the, the robbery where they killed the sixty three year old man and um, Gary didn't get paid out as much as he thought the jewelry was worth from that's his what half. I'm thinking I'm thinking he just wanted all of it so he's like yeah you know, fuck this guy yeah yeah and similar to Michael Falco's uh, murder four years prior Gary believed Cuomo had been stealing from him so yeah and and maybe that he would turn him over to police as well right he you know he's a bit paranoid when it came to this stuff. He'd been locked up so many times. I think he was worried about going back to prison. And so anybody <laughs> it doesn't that seem was like a it. threat to that, <laughs> I know, right? Because he's still doing these bold. Stop crimes, breaking but, the law, asshole! But this one, he was attached to a murder with this guy, so yeah. that was a much bigger, much higher stakes. If this guy turns him in for that robbery, they know that the the jewelry store owner had gotten shot. He can't he can't be connected to that specific. That's crime. a great point. Maybe as soon as he pulls the trigger and kills the jewelry store owner, he's already thought, I got to kill Como now because yep. he could turn me in and keep all of this jewelry and I'm going to prison for murder. Yeah. 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 Mm. This next part is fucked up, man. You know, it's bad enough getting murdered, but then the guy that murders you starts like hanging out and banging your girlfriend too. Not cool, uh, bro. No. Really not cool. Not cool. So not long after Gary kills Cuomo, um, he convinced Cuomo's girlfriend and the mother of his child that that Cuomo had abandoned them, abandoned them, and fled the area. So he starts calling her and being like, "Hey, have you heard from? What's up with your boyfriend? You know, I heard he like fled the area and left you guys. You know, obviously he's buried in a hole because Gary right. had shot him. Um, but barely, barely a month later, they started a relationship together. And over the next several years, Gary would spend much of his time with Cuomo's girlfriend and daughter, who had no idea that he was responsible for his death. Oh my God." That's just like another level of scumbaggery right there. It really is. It really Dude is. Dude is rolling over in his grave right now like, you fucking killed me and now you're hanging out with my daughter and banging my girlfriend, you fucking piece of shit. Mm. Who oh, knows? The worst. Como might have been a piece of shit too, though. Who knows? Yeah, but damn, man. Like, yeah, it's fucked up. Yeah, it's different. That is messed up. No doubt. So then in October 1991, um, Gary spent two weeks on the roof of a building in Little Falls, New York, casing a joint, uh, a coin and jewelry shop on the first floor, which was owned by Gregory Jobin, who was 36 years old. And on October 17th, 1991, which happens to be my, that was my fourth birthday. Oh, <laughs> he, wow. <laughs> he walked, uh, while I was, uh, my parents were celebrating my fourth birthday, Gary walked into Jobin's shop and asked him for a price of a piece of uh, merchandise. When uh, Jobin bent over to grab the piece of merchandise, Gary shot him to death, uh, shot him in the back of the head. And he'd actually um, thought enough to put a pillowcase over the gun and you know, like over his hand holding the gun so that the casings would go into the pillowcase and not be left mm. behind at the scene. Pretty clever. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe that got him caught in, a, in, a, in another crime or something. Or, yeah. Who knows? Or, or, or he'd been watching some uh, 
Law and Order or something. Oh, he probably learned that shit from being in prison. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> Good point. Um, then in 1993, Gary stole over 800 antiques from a shop in Vermont. So I was continuing his uh, span of, of robberies here. Yep. And in 1994, this part is hilarious, dude. So he he decides he's going to go to a cemetery and, and bury some um, like weapons and stuff that were involved in these murders. Yeah. Um, and while he's at the cemetery burying like a metal box with with some of this incriminating evidence he he sees a, a bench that just catches his eye at this oh, cemetery got like a thousand it. pound bench that he had to have to, to mm. sell because he saw the value in it um and he, <laughs> he uses a freaking engine uh hoist to get this like to get this thousand pound bench out and takes it to his fence you know the guy that he sells stolen goods to yeah um who gets nervous about this like this bench is you know yeah, it's recognizable. It's from right, the, you know, right. the Albany Cemetery, so I'm sure the guy's it's not, nervous about it. I was going to say, I'm sure it's not the only bench like that in the cemetery. Probably all of the benches in the cemetery are the same, and you just right. took one. Yeah, yeah a 1,000-pound bench. Man, the determination, though. This is what we were talking about earlier. The dedication and determination to a crime. To still... Yeah. Uh, uh, with what? I know it says a crane, but they're... Oh, you say engine crane, so basically a cherry picker. Yeah, okay. I'm guessing you, like an, a cherry picker on wheels, and like yeah. you just push this thing through the streets back well, to I mean, <laughs> wherever. Pretty much, pretty much all cherry pickers are on wheels, but how the fuck are you going to move those things? Like it's it's. I know. Even on concrete, I mean, I if it's got a thousand it, pound bench. This is crazy. He did this by himself. Did he tie it to his car? I got so many questions. You know, know what I'm saying? Dude. This is the he craziest. was a tricep king, bro. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care what your triceps look like, bro. You know? Oh my gosh. That's true. Maybe we're underestimating yeah. the tricep king here. Yeah. He just pulled that bitch right up out that cemetery. It's just hysterical to me, though, to consider like he's burying this metal box and he looks over like, God damn, look at that bench. Look at I that bench. Have that. Oh my God. <laughs> right? I'm just like, all the things that you could steal, like jewelry is so much easier. Why the hell are you going to steal a bench? Yep. It just, it baffles me. It's, it's almost like a, I, I I just picture him sitting in the cemetery going, I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I need a challenge. Yeah. You know, I'm fucking bored. That was probably part of it, right? Like only it's, like no one else would be willing to steal this bench. They they left it here taunting us, knowing that like, oh no one's it's yeah. a thousand pounds, no one's gonna be able to take it. And it's like Exactly, well, no one's gonna take this. Challenge accepted. Thank you. <laughs> Let me so. I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's crazy. So in early 1994, Gary would agree to assist authorities by obtaining information on. So yeah, he gets he gets arrested for that the bench thing because yeah, the, right. the, you know the guy that he takes his stolen goods to gets nervous about this one and turns him into police. Right. So he's he's behind bars yet again in early, in early 1994, but he helps authorities bring down uh, a, a murderer, Jeffrey Williams, who was implicated on the high profile murder of his girlfriend Karen uh, Lonzak. Mm-hmm. So this guy had killed his girlfriend, but they did I guess the you know the DA and the uh, prosecutors didn't have enough to, you know, take him to trial or whatever. They they needed more, so they they went to Gary, who was like a cellmate with him, and asked him if he would try and obtain information from Jeffrey Williams um, to bring him down. And he does. He he becomes like an informant, I guess, um, and gets close to Jeffrey Williams, gets the guy to confess to him, and this helps him get early release. He would be um, he would be released on February 12th, 1994, with police still unaware that he himself had murdered several people, four people. So he's yeah. he's worse than the guy that he just got, he just helped police take down. Right. Um, he's murdered four people. This guy just mar- murdered his girlfriend, you know? Yeah. And they're working with him. Incredible. Um, 
Unfortunately for police, they needed him to stay clean uh, because he he was important in the murder trial. He was you know supposed to testify against Williams, but yeah. instead on March twentieth, nineteen ninety four, he stole uh, a valuable book from uh, from from the local library uh, in oh, Woodstock, Vermont. Uh, the it was the first American edition of the Havel of London printing of John James's uh, James, John James Auburn's book Birds of America, and this book was later sold uh, at auction for over $300,000 in 2002. Oh, yeah. He knew what he was doing. He knew antiques, right? He yeah, knows he how did. valuable this freaking book was. Like, Yeah. I mean, dang. even in 94, this book's probably worth a hundred grand. How was this book? Like, how How do you... I mean, maybe they had it in a glass case or something at the library. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm like, how is this thing just like... like it couldn't have just been sitting out, right? It's not on a, your it, standard bookshelf in there. It's got to be... No. Locked up somewhere. I would say it was probably in one of those displays, like on a podium with the thick glass mm-hmm. around it, you know, and you're looking yeah. at it with a light on it. And mm-hmm. he was probably in the library, just as anybody can, walking around, and yeah. it caught his eye, just like that bench. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's yep. like, had to have it. I sold a bench one time. I can easily get this book out of here. This is this is going to be easy. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> this book's light, man. This book's yeah. only a few pounds. I'll just bust this glass, chuck it out the window, jump out the window right. myself, go get it. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Something Gary would do, man. It was insane. Yeah. So uh, he tried to sell the book through a prison inmate um, and was turned in and wound up in federal prison for this one. Um, so, yeah. w- but he ended up uh, receiving a shortened, a shortened sentence. He keeps giving, getting given breaks, you know? It, it's unbelievable. Uh, it really and is. And this would end up, you know, resulting in more lives lost, of course. Um, but he gets a shortened sentence for this, for stealing the book because he returned it. <laughs> oh, thank so, you so much. You know, Gary. it's much like the library. You know, if you return the book, you know, the fees lessened. So that's right. Maybe even gone. Yeah. Uh, so, but he would ultimately be released on June sixth, nineteen ninety six. Um, and after his nineteen ninety six release, he would be re- reunited with Tim Reisdorf, the former roommate, the guy that he had killed their yeah, other roommate with. I remember him. He's a childhood friend. Florida. Yep, yep. Yeah. The guy that had gotten. Their other friend Michael killed over the whole necklace thing. That's right. Um, so they get back together. It's been years, but the, they're back together, and the gang's back, and they're they're back doing burglaries together. And in January right. of 1996 or 1997, uh, they hit a shop in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, for eighty thousand dollars in merchandise. Uh, but the following July, Gary would sell antique jewelry in Albany, which police later linked to the Great Barrington burglary that he had done with Tim. So, Damn it, Gary, back in jail again. Um, but he gets, he gets out, uh, and he's on probation and he jumps probation, probation on, uh, October 3rd, 1997. Um, and earlier the following morning, Tim made a phone call to his wife and this would end up being the last call that he'd ever make to her. Um, he was never seen again after that, that morning, Gary would shoot Tim Reisdorf to death in their, in a storage locker. So he, they went to this, uh, you know, storage locker where they, they had a bunch of their stolen goods and, you know, this was, uh, planned out on Gary's oh, yes. part and Very um, so. when Tim when Tim had his back turned Gary shot him from behind three times in the back of the head then dismembered his body with a chainsaw oh my which seems unnecessarily messy to me I was just about to say the mess that that could would have caused blood and, spatter everywhere oh, right my like, god yeah I mean it, this, this isn't um, uh maybe he took him out into the woods you know or in somewhere and did it but still you would still have blood splatter all over the place in the woods and, yeah if you're gonna do that animals and everything else if you're gonna dismem- dismember somebody with a chainsaw you gotta do it like they did in scarface in a bathtub you know where you can just rinse it all down afterwards all the, the spatter everywhere yeah 
Oh, gosh. But it's still getting all over the ceiling and the walls and shit. Yeah. Like, oh, God, it's a mess. So he dismembers Tim's body uh, with the chainsaw. Then he puts the, the parts in trash bags and buried them in a shallow grave. He was, for somebody who was the tricep king, he never dug any like legit graves. They were always three feet. You know, you know, you get, everybody knows you got to go six feet. <laughs> He's got better things to do, man. Yeah, I guess. He's got better things to do. He's got another another store to hit up and rob later today. Yeah, so much like the other murders, uh, Gary had suspected Tim of stealing from him. And also, uh, he finally started to put things together and, and claim, he, apparently, he, he finally realized that Tim had tricked him into thinking that Michael had stolen from him 13 years prior. And uh, you know, and so it, it was it was payback time. You know what? He probably already figured that shit out, and he was like, "I'm just going to use Tim to pull off one more heist, and then I'm going to kill his ass anyway." Yeah, that's possible. You know, all that year, all the all that time he spent in prison, mm-hmm. Lauren. You know, he had plenty of time to think and sort that shit out himself. Yep. Yeah, and even if he mm-hmm. thought there was just an inkling of chance that that had been the case, it's like, eh, oh, that's he's enough. the type that's like, why take the risk? Let's just kill this motherfucker. Let's just kill this guy. Yeah, he probably did me wrong. And if not, at least I know he won't. Yeah, exactly. So this would be the undoing, though, for Gary uh, when it comes to him being able to just go around murdering people left and right and get away with it and only being taken down for the, the you know petty crimes that he did, the, uh, the burglaries and things like that. The timing of Gary right. jumping probation and Tim, Tim Reisdorf's disappearance were too coincidental for police to overlook. They, it caused uh, authorities to suspect that Tim was dead and that Gary was involved. So, you know, he, he he skips out on his probation and all of a sudden his good friend and, and criminal partner goes missing. Um, so they would begin a, nationwide, a nationwide manhunt that lasted almost eight months. Meanwhile, Gary was documenting his time on the run. This is what caught my eye with this case. I saw this picture online somewhere of, of this, this interesting looking man in a, in a grave, like a, in a concrete coffin, if you will. Uh, yeah, in the in the dirt, like flipping off the camera, and this was one of the photos that he had mailed to uh, um, his girlfriend, among others, uh, while the time he, on the during the time that he was on the run from the police. Then in these eight months, he was sending. <laughs> he had this camera with a tripod, and he was sending these photos documenting his time on the run, um, and yeah. in a way taunting police. And so this this infamous photo of him, um, he's he's laying in a concrete coffin. And he wrote a note to go along with the photo, and it says, quote, for everyone who wants me caged or dead, um, and it's him flipping off the camera. Um, <laughs> He's wearing some cut-off cut jean off shorts, shorts. Some jorts. Yep, yep. He's got the jorts and a graphic tee. He looks like he's got a wristband on or something. Yep. <laughs> yep. He does. He does look like a skateboarder, though, doesn't he? I know he skateboarded some as a kid. He still kind of has that punk look. He was too muscular to be a skateboarder, though. You know, there was... <laughs> Oh yeah, he broke some boards, bro. Right. You know he broke some. He's the kid that like tried to do a kickflip three times snapped and then the snapped board. his board over his knee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the police are on the you know looking for him um, in in relation to Tim's death, um, and he's on the run for for eight months. Finally, however, with the aid of Damian Cuomo's girlfriend, uh, the man of which he had murdered as well, they finally caught up with Gary. Do you think she's starting to realize now at this point, like this dude? I've been hanging out with all this time. He's been around my daughter. He's now, yeah. he's now like the police are looking at him in connection to murdering my my husband's friend as well. Like, did he did he kill my husband as well? And he's been hanging out with me, and, right? Uh, so she helps him get the police find him on May twenty seventh, nineteen eighty eight or nineteen ninety eight. Gary was arrested without incident near St. Johnsbury, Vermont, near where he was living in a tent as a survivalist. He's totally got a survivalist vibe, doesn't he? 
Yeah, he does. He totally could be one of those guys that could just like live in the woods by himself for years and people wouldn't even know. Oh, yeah. You probably eat like fucking, fucking squirrels and, and shit. Mushrooms and shit. Yeah, <laughs> squirrels. Organic, bro. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Although he doesn't oh, wait, eat meat. He's vegetarian. He doesn't eat meat, so he'd have to just be finding yeah. berries and stuff. Yeah, he's just eating berries and certain greens that grow wild. Mm hmm. So they, they, they catch up with him on June 18th, 18th, 1998. Gary surprised them by confessing to all five murders. So they, you know, they wanted to know what happened with Tim, but he comes clean to five murders um, and would, mm. would even help police in recovering all three bodies of his former partners in crime, including Falco's in Florida. He also admitted to the murders of the two uh, jewelry store owners, Barry and Jobin. And he would be indicted for murder on August 12th, 1998 uh, for the deaths of Falco, Cuomo, and Reisdorf. Um, the three guys that he had uh, partnered up with in these crimes. Um, because Tim's murder occurred after New York reinstated the death penalty in 1995, Gary was eligible to be executed for his crimes as well. Mm. So the following day, he would be arraigned on another account of murder uh, in Little Falls for killing Gregory Jobin, uh, the jewelry store owner. And mm -hmm. then the day after his Little Falls arraignment, he was being transported from uh, Rensselaer County to Albany Court. And this is another instance that made him... Very well known, uh, because he was not going to go quietly. No. Um, unbeknownst to authorities, Gary had, had uh, a handcuff key that he had attained somehow and shoved deep into his sinus cavity. So deep, in fact, that it would have taken surgery to remove it, they would later find out. God. Um, but he had two keys. He had two. Somehow he had two handcuff keys, and he managed to free his hands while in the police van, despite being uh, in manacles and chained. They say police wow. van, but this is a, a Dodge Astro van. Yeah, a Chevy Astro van. Yeah, a Chevy Astro van. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it was like green. It didn't look like a police van. It just looked like your average work van yeah. or family it was just van. Just a regular old van. And he kicked the middle window out, the big one that's in the sliding door. Yeah. Yeah. So he frees his hands. Uh, he kicks out the window. Um, when they reached the the Troy Menans Bridge, he, he waited. He timed it to where you know he would have an escape route. Uh, he times it to where the, they're going over a bridge. He's already got his hands free, and he kicks out the big window in the middle um, and jumps out of the van and starts running. And when police corner him, he's standing on the edge of the bridge. He flips them off before leaping off the bridge. Um, and do you think he was intent, like knowing that he was going to die here, or do you think he, he thought the water was deeper? Um, I think the fact that he had had the key and the, he had a razor blade stuffed up his, ne his nose as well. I think he yeah. was planning. This was an escape plan. Like he was, I think it was an escape plan as well. Jump into I, the water, swim to the shore, and then like later on, use the the razor blade and the key, the key to free, to like carve mm -hmm. away at his chains or whatever, and and free himself. Right, but unfortunately, the water was only like a foot deep. So yeah, he jumped sixty feet into a foot of water, and oh, naturally, that that did him in. Mm -hmm. So when, do when authorities retrieved his body, they found the handcuff key stuffed up his nose and a razor blade taped to his ankle. Oh, the razor blade wasn't up his nose. It was taped to his ankle. Okay. Yeah. That would have been brutal. Oof. Yeah, no doubt. Now, there, um, are, there are some articles and some things, some resources that say that the razor blade was up his nose, but that's, no, it wasn't. It was taped to his ankle. But he did have a key way up there. Yeah. So a number of acquaintances, including Evan's lawyer and investigator Tim, Jim Horton, who had known him since the 1970s, uh, when they investigated the robberies, later stated that uh, Gary had planned to kill himself long before the incident, having sent them suicides notes in which he expressed remorse and his inability to deal with isolation. So it's kind of, I, I don't know. I think there's a decent chance that this was a suicide. He knew he was jumping into a foot of water or whatever. Yeah. 
because he also did leave a note with his attorney as well, um, which would allude to that. The, he So he had sent this letter to his attorney, and after his attorney heard about his passing, um, mm-hmm. he opened it. And the message was, uh, on to a better place now, uh, ending with, I win. So that was the last words that he wrote were, I win. Wow. Um yeah, I guess in a way you did things your way, Gary. Yeah, you did things your way. That's for sure. Some also uh, speculated that in the last months of his life, he was paranoid of possibly getting the death penalty, and it was going to be ex- executed via le- lethal injection, which contradicted his beliefs that no one should ever take drugs via injections. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> really? Very like well, almost biblical there, like religious seemingly. You know, like you're not going to invade my body with your foreign objects or whatever. Like right, right. <laughs> That's that's the hill he decides to die on. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, it, but once again, like he had these these women that stood by him, and there's actually photos online of um, two women that uh, he touched their lives, Bernadette and Kathy. They were friends of Gary's. Um, there's a photo of them embracing on the bridge where he jumped off and leaving balloons, flowers, and cookies on August 13th, 1998. Not long after he jumped off that bridge. Um, and one of the messages they had was, quote, I love Gary, rest, now my man, always in my heart, Kathy and the girls. Mm. It's, it's, he's, a, he's a quandary, this guy. He's a, yeah, he is. I mean, you know, you know, and you can't blame these people for missing him, you know? He was good to them. Yeah. You know, some, I mean, I'm sure they've caught a lot of hate online of, you know, oh, oh why are you mourning a killer? This guy was a shitbag. This guy was a scumbag. He was this, that, piece of shit, but... I mean, if if he wasn't to you, he wasn't to he wasn't to you. You know what I'm saying? Like if he had he had people that I. That's what makes him so complex. That's what makes this story interesting, even the, in the least. He's not. Yeah. It's not just a career criminal. And here's some things that went wrong. He also had this side of him that was so strange, so mm. kind. You know what I'm saying? And like he he cared for kids. He he cared for the women in his life. I guess maybe a little too much sometimes. Maybe he cared for women that weren't his. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A, a weird dude, man. Not yeah, maybe, I mean, like any the other serial the, killer. Maybe it, it it's hard for them to maybe put themselves in the shoes of the loved ones of the the jewelry store owners that did nothing other than like just come, right. Gary came into their lives and, and ended these these completely yeah. uh, innocent men's lives. They were they were just working at a jewelry store and he just shot him in the back of the head for no reason, you know. Yeah. So I mean, it's like it's, the other the other uh, guys that were partners in crime with him. You know, it's they're still victims, but you know they were also knew that they were around a very dangerous man and working with him, and they definitely and put they were, themselves in danger, right? And they were benefiting from this dangerous man as well. Yeah. So you know you have to take that in consideration. You really do. Yep. But yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't even see him as a serial killer. Still, I know he killed five people, but in the way that he did it, it just doesn't seem serial killer to me. It's just like. You know, kind of like uh, it's kind of like you wouldn't call Tookie Williams a serial killer, but mm-hmm. yet he's killed enough people to be a serial killer. I feel like this guy fits in the same vein. He kind of did what he thought he had to do, yeah. You know, to get by, to live that criminal lifestyle, to get back at people who wronged him, to make sure he wasn't being taken advantage of. Yeah, but I mean, he technically fits the definition of a serial killer. But I think when we think serial killer, we think of people that get off on killing that they. They do it for yeah. pleasure, whether it's sexual or they just they, they just enjoy the act of killing. Whereas him, it right. was more just a tactile thing. It was you know yeah. a means to an end, or like just 
trying to avoid detection of the law or for a little bit of money or whatever. Yeah, to him, it was just logical kills. I mean, obviously, yeah. I wouldn't call any kill logical, but that that does seem to him that was his reasoning. It's he's pretty easy to figure out. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? But yeah. the escape and the crazy shit that he stole, still in the bench. I mean, that made him episode worthy right there. That shit's crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Escaping prison, sending the you know, flipping the cops the bird and his photos while he's on the run. Like, yeah, that stuff. That that's crazy. Absolutely yeah. insane. The guy, the guy is a stuff of legend. He's a shit. Yeah. He's a shit bag, but he's stuff of legend, I guess. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting character. Worth yeah, doing yeah, an episode on. Yeah, man. I wonder what kind of deodorant he wore. You think he went all natural with his deodorant too? I don't think he did. He seemed to me like the type that didn't wear deodorant. He seemed like he was, you know, he, he looked like he had BO. He looked like one of yeah. those guys. Yeah, he did. To be honest, he could have used some on my guy for he sure. He was a hairy dude. Really hairy, and I think yeah. he liked to put out those those male pheromones or whatever. Well, he could have put out some lumberjack, bro. Get him some leather. Oh, he should you know have. I'm not saying yeah. that he was doing the right thing. No one wants to smell your fucking stinky BO, bro. No. <laughs> and lucky for you guys, you, no one has to because there's Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, like we, like we alluded to, there's tons of scents to choose from. You don't got to smell like B.O. You could smell unscented, if you like. Or you could smell like vanilla, or cherry almond, or sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, one of my favorites, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, sailor, another great scent, barbershop. And just for true crime guys, Oh My Gaia has created the scent True Crime Pine. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place to start for your first order. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And guys, we also excited to bring you another local small bit or not local, but another small business who is a uh, the creator, longtime of this listener business. of the show, longtime, long-time supporter listener. of the show. The, the yes. Michelle K. She runs the Facebook group, the closed Facebook group, which we we don't mention enough anymore. But yeah, we have we a really closed don't. Facebook group that's just for creepers. You know, it's a place where you can all gather together and be you know with like minded individuals. You can share funny true right. crime memes or whatever you want to do on there. Um, she's been running that page for years now, and she also has a small business that she's running that um, she's now wanting us to advertise, and we are happy uh, to do so because she she has some beautiful products on her uh, on her Etsy page. Absolutely, guys. The, the time, the effort, the creativity that are put into these projects is unmatched, and we would expect nothing less from Michelle Kay. This company is called River Hill Creative Studio. River Hero Creative Studio specializes in one-of-a-kind, handmade polymer clay jewelry. Michelle Kay, owner of River Hill Creative Studio, has been a crafter for decades, but only recently discovered her love for jewelry making. Her polymer clay obsession began in March of 2021, and in just nine months, she has made over 100 sales and has received nothing but five-star reviews. New designs dropped often, and new forms of art, including pins and vinyl stickers, will be added in the near future. So check out the goods at riverhillcreative.etsy.com. And follow on Instagram, too, at Riverhill Creative. 
For the month of November, River Hill Creative Studio is running a contest. Anyone who makes a purchase from the Etsy store now through the end of November will be entered into a drawing to win a $50 gift certificate, good towards any River Hill Creative Studio purchase. And you don't have to use social media to be eligible. You just have to make a purchase. It's that easy. Again, that's riverhillcreative.etsy.com and at riverhillcreative on Instagram. Guys, there'll be links to this uh, below the description of this episode. And because you guys are TCG listeners, you can get 10% off your order by using the code CREEPER. You got it. CREEPER for 10% off your order at riverhillcreative.etsy.com or at riverhillcreative on Instagram. There's really beautiful stuff on there. I'm on her uh, her store page right now. Beautiful handmade uh, um, earrings. I might have to get something for my mom and my wife, honestly. Yeah, beautiful stuff, guys. Check the links down in the description. Give her a follow on Instagram. You you won't regret working with Michelle K. She's an amazing person, and she has an amazing business. 110 sales, five stars. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, can't beat that. All right, I want to take a minute to uh, thank those who have gone and rated. We've had a mishap recently. All of our ratings on iTunes got wiped out. Um, We're trying to get them back. Michael's working with uh, Apple. I don't know if you guys noticed last week, we weren't on Spotify for a day or two. There was a mishap with our RSS feed. It's been uh, resolved since, but um, there's been some after effects and like losing reviews and stuff. We do have uh, one new review on, on Apple. Uh, I want to thank Pendlewick for a beautiful five-star review. It says, super smashing, great. This is a little different from my other podcast. I like a range of true crime to history, and it's all about the storytelling for me and absolutely horrific attempts at br- British accents. <laughs> <laughs> Fair uh, enough. Uh, also, I was hooked from the first episode of True Crime Guys that I heard, which was The Tin Man. It was good. Also, you're definitely a new listener because that was one of that was our ep- episode we did before this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, the banter and the storytelling between Lauren and Michael is very engaging. They take the time to remind us the victims li- uh, of the victims' lives and stories. Really enjoy listening while working from in my in my home workshop. No more freeloading for me. Going to get that banter too. <laughs> oh yeah, so that that leads us right into our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash yes. True Crime Guys. Uh, you get a bunch of more content on there. If you if you've listened to all of our stuff on the on the free feed, uh, you got a lot more. Uh, available to you if you go to patreon.com slash true crime guys two bucks a month gets you access to our once a month patreon only episode which is next week by the way uh next week you won't get an episode on the on our free feed you're gonna have to go to patreon for that one uh, but also at the five dollar tier you get another podcast that michael and i do together where we just hang out and answer listener questions it's anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour every week it's called just the banter mm-hmm. we shoot the shit we talk about uh, a lot of stuff that doesn't involve true crime you get to know us a little bit better Yep. Um, you get a part, get to be a part of the community on Patreon as well. Like you get to be involved in some cool stuff. Like uh, we do a, a fantasy football league just with Patreon listeners. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. You get to be very interactive with us on there. Absolutely. We just released episode fifty three of just the banter. So lots yep. of bantering to be unlocked on Patreon. Yep. All right. Anything else? Strange and unexplained. Yeah, guys. If you uh, if you're all caught up, if you're a patron of True Crime guys. You're caught up on all that content. We have other shows as well on our network now. Check out Strange and Unexplained wherever you listen. New episodes come out every Monday. Uh, it's where we focus on unsolved, missing persons, strange phenomena, things like that. Stuff that we don't typically uh, talk about on True Crime Guys. We try to keep them solved and uh, you know uh, completed here on True Crime Guys. 
Whereas we like to do a little bit of speculation. We, me and Lauren both do our own research for Strange and Unexplained. I give you the facts and then my opinion, and then you get to hear Lauren's synopsis towards the end of the episode. And Lauren does his own studying and comes with his own opinions and thoughts on the episode, which is uh, pretty cool. I really like to do that. It's my first time hearing Lauren's synopsis is when I record the episode as well. So I get to give honest feedback on what Lauren thinks. It's just It's a fun way to do a podcast, we think. But Strange and Unexplained, uh, wherever you guys listen. Uh, yep. As well as the fantasy football podcast. Yeah, Full I House also fantasy. have a, I have a fantasy football podcast. I do. If you're into fantasy, check it out. It's called Full House Fantasy Podcast. It's available wherever you listen to podcasts. I do it with my buddy Tori every week. Uh, yes. We break down, you know, what happened the, the last uh, the prior week in fantasy and what you know what to look forward to moving, who to pick up, who to trade, uh, yep. who to start and sit, all those things. You can ask us questions, fullhousefantasyfootball at, g- at gmail.com. Send us your start-sit questions, your trade questions, things like that. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that about does it, guys. And uh, guys, go give, go give all those shows a review. Go give yeah. Fantasy Podcast a review and go make sure if you're listening on Spotify, please give us a follow. Uh, that is the number one way to get your podcast promoted on Spotify. They, they only go by follows over there. So if you guys are listening and you're not following... Um, as us, as a podcast artist on Spotify, please do that. We appreciate sure that very much. With our feed, with, you know, with our feed mishap last week, we're not so sure that we have all the same. If you thought you were subscribed and you were before, you it may have unsubscribed you when yes. we had that mishap. So whether it's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you use, um, double check that you're still subscribed to our show, please. That, that definitely, yes, please do. Yeah, that definitely kind of uh, screwed with things, but uh, we have no doubt that you guys are are back you're you're coming back even if you couldn't find us you'll you'll find us again but uh yeah thank everybody for the support and we'll see you on patreon next week and if you're not a patreon member that's fine we'll see you the following week for another set of uh three free little episodes have a oh, great wait, week guys wait 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 we got what? one more thing man we got to wish somebody a happy birthday oh that's right that's right mike spoon we want to give mike spoon a big old true crime guys happy birthday mike happy spoon 24th from Austin, mike. texas yes 24 years old you you amazing, handsome-looking man. Yes, you're, Sasha, Sasha says you're beautiful. I haven't seen you, so I can't, uh, I can't uh, speak to that myself. But I'm sure uh, you are, though. I'm sure, I'm sure her you taste. Are. You know, is judging that she loves our show, she must have great taste, and I'm sure you're um, very uh, striking individual. <laughs> That's right. A great male specimen, right. Mr. Mr. Mike Spoon. I'm but sure your you go, triceps man. are even better. That's than, right. Uh, than Gary. I'm sure you're the real tric- tricep king, Mike Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great birthday, dude. Yep. All right, guys. Keep creeping. See you next week. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here making murder charming Murder charming